Oh, there you go. It's 11.05. It is time for How's It Growing right here on KZUM Lincoln. Welcome to the show every Wednesday, 11 till noon, right here on KZUM Lincoln. Hi, I'm Bob Hendrickson. I'm with the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. We plant Nebraska each and every day. Hey, uh, and speaking of Nebraska Statewide Arboretum, um, you know, you can follow on Facebook. That's a great Facebook page to follow. Just type in Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. You'll find us there. And, uh, you know, lock into the website at plantnebraska.org and uh, find lots of great plant information. But I just wanted to give you a quick update. We were fundraising for a greenhouse, and, uh, man, we made it. We, uh, we're going to have a brand-new super deluxe greenhouse, which is very exciting news for this cat. And uh, where we growing plants, I usually had to make a 70-mile round trip and uh, now we're going to have one right on East Campus. Uh, thanks to our supporters out there helping us get that goal. Pretty cool stuff. And speaking of supporters and goals, we have our fall fun drive right around the corner here at KZUM. So thank you if you've contributed in the past. And thank you if you're going to be contributing here as we come up with the fall fun drive here in mid-September. We're kissing August goodbye. That's why... I felt like the Mavericks song Summertime was pretty appropriate because, man, the days are numbered summer. And, uh, you know, the what, tomorrow, September 1, uh, the uh, equinox is on the 21st, I believe, of September. So fall officially starts on the 21st. And that's when you'll really notice the days getting shorter, right? We're already noticing it uh, getting dark at, what, 8 o'clock now and... Uh, dark when you get up in the morning <laughs> yeah it's one of one of my least favorite parts about uh, this as season winds down is the lack of light but the good news is for you gardeners out there man the fall gardening season is just getting started uh september is a great time to plant trees a great time to plant perennial plants obviously bedding plants well maybe not so much but but hardy perennials man september is a great month and i think a lot of folks think you have to plant perennial plants in the spring uh, let them get established. But, man, we've been wildly successful planting perennials uh, throughout the month of September. The weather's cooling down. Soil temperatures are still warm. It grows good roots. And that's really what you're after. That way the plant takes right off next spring, right? But you have a solid month window in September. And uh, usually the cutoff for perennial plants is for us, uh, and I'm speaking as by cohorts at the Statewide Arboretum, uh, mid-October. You know, you can certainly plant after mid-October, right up until, in my opinion, uh, Halloween. But if you're paying a lot of money for those plants, man, I'm going to think twice about it. If, if you're just moving a plant, a division, getting one free from a friend, whatever, heck yeah, plant right up until the end of October. But again, September, a great month to continue gardening. And another one to continue gardening is your vegetable garden. Uh, we always talk about fall gardening. Now, man, with September 1 tomorrow, put it on your to-do list yet this week. Go down to the garden center. If you don't have any seeds saved from the spring, score yourself because the garden centers usually restock for fall gardening season. You can find lettuce seed. You can find radish seed, arugula, kale, uh, the, the pretty white uh, um, salad turnips, um, all of those good things would be getting good to get in the ground this weekend, if not tonight, right? <laughs> Unless you're too busy. Uh, anyway, yeah, so consider that fall gardening season. I know we are at our place. we got some work to do to get that ready, but uh, 
Looking forward to getting some seeds in the ground for fall harvest season. All right, I have a caller on the line, and I think this caller is Chance Brueggemann. Chance, did I pronounce your your last name correctly? I probably smashed that baby, didn't I? <laughs> no, I think I think you got it right. Uh, okay, so so uh, Chance is a woodland ecologist with, uh, well, he's housed at the uh, uh, Indian Cave State Park and works for, well, it's kind of two hats, right, Chance? You're with the Game and Parks Commission as well as Northern Prairie Land Trust. Did I get that right? That's correct. Cool, cool. Well, welcome to the show, Chance. Thanks for having me. Did yeah. I come in through all right, by the way? You sure are. I can hear you loud and clear. Okay. Thank, thank you so much Great. for asking. And uh, yeah, I hear you loud and clear. You don't sound like. Uh, are you? Are you like in the woods? <laughs> uh, I'm actually at Rock Creek Station, so the opposite of my oh, normal uh, cool. habitat uh, out in the open prairies. Yeah, but I'm in my truck right now. So it's too cool. Well, okay. Well, that's a great segue for me to ask uh, if if you if you're listening, folks. Maybe you have been to Rock Creek Station. Maybe you have not. And Rock Creek Station, correct me if I'm wrong. Chance is just a little bit to the west of Fairbury, right? Uh, just to the east. Of east Fairbury. of Fairbury. Okay. Very good. So yeah, go down there, Beatrice Fairbury area. Uh, you'll be glad you did. Uh, they have a great prairie down there. And if I remember right, they even have some uh, some ruts you can you can view to say this this dates back to the Oregon Trail. It has a lot of history there with the Pony Express Station, and, and I think they still do some cool summer events, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, when I talked to a lot of people about this place, uh, a lot of folks really they highly regard it as a, a great equestrian place. So if you got a horse, it's a it's a great place to ride it. No doubt, I, that that's a good point, and uh, I imagine the prairie uh, is kind of shrugging its shoulders, going, "Yeah, whatever, drought, we got this." Or does it look like, <laughs> a, or does it look like there's a drought? <laughs> it, there's some plants that certainly look a little bit more uh, sadder than others, but I think some of these plants are more of a somewhat open woodland species, so they would like a little bit of shade and just a little bit of a. A break from the heat and all that but yeah some of those are hurting but a lot of the other stuff is yeah kind of like you said shrugging it off yeah shrugging it off bring it on bring it on drought well okay chance well let's let's dive right into this um you have been a woodland ecologist project biologist with the game and parks in northern prairie land trust at indian cave state park and uh gosh we haven't made it it's on our bucket list to do this fall for a fall camping trip usually we go the week before halloween to avoid mm. the big crowds <laughs> uh and Absolutely. Uh, yeah and that's kind of still on our wish list uh, the third week in October, so I uh, hope we make it out there, and uh, how are things looking there? You guys, uh, one of the reasons, folks, we bring Chance on the program is to talk about uh, the land management that uh, Game and Parks and Northern Prairie Land Trust are doing there at Indian Cave, and that includes some woodland burning, and um, and I imagine you guys did some burning, uh, just, did you, were you able to get any accomplished last spring or last fall? Yeah, we were. Uh, we, we got... I would say probably about 70% of the park burnt, uh, of our woodland units, burnt out Indian Cave. We kind of got shut down towards the end, kind of in the spring, where we had a lot of those uh, wildfires and stuff like that. So Game of Parks eventually shut down burning on all uh, Game of Parks properties at one point. So that was kind of a nail in the coffin. But right. I'd say we did it. a pretty decent job. 
Are you saying that you guys have burned throughout that time, that like like many years, 70% of the park, or you're saying you got that accomplished in one year? No way, right? <laughs> uh, our, well, our main goal is usually to get all of our units burnt at the park, which okay. it doesn't encompass all the acreage at the park. Uh, mainly our oak woodlands are kind of where we would like to address it with fire and some of our ridgetop prairies in the middle of the oak woodlands. Um, okay. Uh, so that's kind of our main goal. Um, each year we get roughly, yeah, 60 to 70% is kind of our, usually where we get about each year. Wow. And, and Chance, for our listeners, you, you ask for volunteers during those burns, right? Is there a way for somebody listening that wants, man, I'd like to go check that out and, and help out. Is there a way for people to volunteer at all for that? Yeah, we certainly take volunteers here and there. Um, a good way, I suppose, of reaching out, um, I suppose one uh, on email address would probably be the best bet. Is there a better way of getting that out on radio? or? Um, you know, yeah, with your last name, that may be a tr- stretch, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you know uh, I would say... Uh, let's give them something easier to type up, right? Um, could they just type in Indian Cave uh, Project Biologist, and then you would come um, up? I could you, could, you could find me on Northern Prairie's uh, Land ah, there you go. Dot, there you go. Dot com, and you'd be able to find the staff and most likely the, uh, the uh, way to contact me on there. I agree. That, that'd be a good one because I was uh, going to click on that one earlier as well. And you're right, uh, folks, just type in Northern Prairies Land Trust and you'll see their staff directory come up. And then you can email Chance and say, hey, man, I would like to be put on that list of volunteers that helps you do woodland burning at Indian Cave. And, and so, uh, Chance... Okay, so if the park is, you know, you, you do 60, 70% of your units every year is your goal. You've been burning for, what, uh, over seven years now or longer? Um, me in particular or the project? Well, just the project, yeah. Uh, the project, we've been burning since 2011, I believe, was the first year. Dang, that's a trip. Yeah, how time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Yeah, wow, wow. Absolutely. Yeah, and so tell tell us uh, why why bother? Uh, you know, woodlands would do just fine without this burning, right? No, uh, why bother to do this as a way to manage uh, the? Because I I also saw another article uh, that I can't remember if you wrote it or if I just read about it. Where uh, after you talk about the benefit of fire management, um, I know one one invasive species that has really hit Indian Cave hard, and I'm curious where it is at. Uh, where you know how bad is it? Is the uh, garlic mustard, and mm-hmm. maybe there's another invasive or two you want to mention that you know is the fire helping control that? Is it not making a diff? And 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 what are you doing to address those? But first of all, talk about just why why does uh, woodland management using fire? Why does it benefit? Um. Well, the fire is uh it's probably one of our best and well, definitely most fun tools to use uh, for doing oak woodland restoration. And it, it helps uh, kind of, well, it's an, a disturbance, which every system needs once in a while to at least kind of keep things in check. Um, it does fantastic things for some of our understory brush that we have in the woodlands that would normally kind of, you know, grow and uh, take over a lot of the understory. So it, it kind of makes for easier walking um, and just opening up the woodland for more forbs and other opportunistic uh, 
plants. Uh, also, kind of like you were mentioning with some of these invasive or non-native plants, is some of these things may not even be adapted to fire, so it's helpful in, you know, sending uh-huh. through the woods and kind of knocking back some of those species that are adapted to fire. And um, it helps with water tables as far as water absorption into the soil, so we hope that um, when you burn off the leaves, it's almost like getting rid of their leaves, when they accumulate, they can almost act like shingle, shingles and actually more or less run off water rather than, you know, bringing or taking it in. So, you know, uh-huh. taking some of the leaf layer off can actually help with charging some of the water tables in the area and whatnot. Mm. Um, there's a ton of benefits that I'm sure I'm not even bringing up right now, but those are kind of some of the big ones. And uh, and kind of mentioning, like, cleaning out some of that uh, understory uh, vegetation is, a big goal that we want to do uh, is get oaks to regenerate. So that's the main kind of reason why we're out there doing oak woodland restoration is yeah, to get that next generation of oaks sprouted, and so they can continue to keep oaks in the habit or into the uh, to the uh, the habitat. Yeah, that that sounds uh, like a really, really like you said, you hit it on the head, nail the head. Is that's the main reason? And so, so to explain, um, okay, so Indian Cave, if it was never touched, never you know burned uh, to reduce that understory shrubbery and whatnot, um, the shrub kind of takes advantage and snuffs out things. Uh, so species diversity is, is, is taken way down. So in other words, it's like a plant called rough leaf dogwood people. That's very aggressive. And, uh, you know, it was kept at bay historically from fire. And once fire was taken away, man, it's just had fun. And, and what happens is you want that forest to regenerate those acorns to drop, to germinate and sprout and grow well, they had very little chance if there was low light, and those shrubs were creating that low light situation. Maybe a dense stand of, of trees because new trees would germinate, but they weren't necessarily oaks. They were pioneer species that kind of moved in and said, "Hey, hey, we rule, dude. You know, g- good luck, oak." And then, and then, what else would you do? You'd have to go in there with a bunch of Cub Scouts and hand plant a bunch of oaks, and then keep those oaks protected from deer and whatnot, and the deer would usually win. I'm thinking of management they tried to do at, uh, at Fontenelle Forest where they were planting a, a bunch of, uh, they even had some grower down in Tennessee that was originally worked at Fontenelle, grow the trees down in Georgia, ship them up there. They planted a bunch of them, put the tree tubes around them, and uh, what the deer didn't get, the tubes killed, right? So it just didn't work. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of human effort and carbon footprint in trying to do that. But you guys are saying, well, we want the trees to be able to do it on their own, right? Yeah, just trying to set the stage for, you know, kind of everything to kind of do its own from there, really. No doubt. And I'm, I'm curious, after, since 2011, it's been a number of years, and obviously it's going to take time to get it to a, an open canopy and less of this and that, but are you seeing any regeneration at all? Are you seeing any positivity where, oh, there's some oak seedlings coming up here? Oh, certainly. And it's, it's mo- I want to say it's mostly during, like, certain times of the year, like, either during the spring or where there's less vegetation and then during the fall where it's the same scenario uh, and those oak seedlings they just it's just amazing how many there are and I, I can't wait till we get to a point where those seedlings start to become saplings and we start to see some more vertical growth on them yeah so, too cool yeah. too cool um, and some something uh, uh, talking about with the those seedlings is 
since we try and burn every year, uh, a lot of the times we do like top kill these existing seedlings. Well, they're still very much alive. Uh, we just more or less take off a little bit of biomass that's up top. Uh-huh. But from what I understand, oaks at a young age, they're their main focus is to build a root system. So at some point, we'd like to think that these oaks will have enough uh, enough vigor in their roots to be able to shoot up a more prominent stock that can with uh, can withstand a fire, or you know some of these units if we don't burn in a year that gives them that break to potentially you know have that growth spurt. And I have seen that and firsthand which is really cool so you're saying like the oak got big enough uh where you did roll a fire through there but it didn't take out that oak's top this time because it was big enough right cool yeah and it was like probably about a year's worth of growth and it was was about it was like six foot tall and that's that's a tremendous amount of growth for an oak at least in the you know a season so you know that's telling how much root mass that they're building even though we're burning them you know every about every year too cool. So after it was burned back, uh, the plant will re-sprout because it has that the, all that energy in the root system saying, yeah, whatever, man, burn us. We're, we're made for this. We'll, we're going to re-sprout and we're going to kick up an even taller shoot than last year because we have the energy to do it now. <laughs> Pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah. Nice, nice. And are you seeing, um, I know at Indian Cave you'll find Baroque and Chinkapin Oak and Black Oak. Are you seeing some species that, that are regenerating I, I obviously it depends where you're burning but does it matter on the species or are they all kind of you're seeing it all three of them be successful um definitely more more uh species of oaks than others uh it seems that both the red oak and the chinkapin oak and the black oak uh they they seem to be a little bit uh easier to get to germinate when the bur oaks it seems that the bur oaks, they require a little bit more light to germinate. So mm-hmm. we are seeing all the oaks, but yeah, kind of like you said, it depends on where you're at. If it's a more open oak woodland or some of our ridge top prairies where we're seeing more bur oaks, but you know, in more of the deeper woods where there's not as much light, we are certainly seeing the other oak species. Cool, cool. I forgot there's also red oak in there. Yeah, yeah. Cool beans. Correct, yeah. yeah, and 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 when you're walking an Indian cave, people, it's kind of fun, you know, just you know, obviously the grade change isn't the mountains, but still for plant geeks, you know, if you're botanizing there going, okay, you kind of pay attention to like, oh, down in the valleys and the more moist areas, the lower part of the park, I'm seeing, what is that kind of oak, right? And and then, you know, it helps you to learn your oaks and where they like to grow. And it's like, oh, that red oak is kind of at the lower part, but up on the ridge, that's where you'll find the chinkapin and the black oak, right? And and probably burrs too. Would you say that, Chance? Or, or does it... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Yeah, and and I remember also down in the lower part, you'll tend to see the lindens, and you'll tend to see uh, more of the black walnut, and then you get up on the ridge, and the trees are a little more stunted, and and uh, that's where the black oak really rules. And I think you'll see the hop horn beam up there more on the ridge as well, correct, rather than down in the valleys. You know, actually, hop horn beam. That that's it's kind of all over. Uh, we we. That's another, besides kind of the understory brush I was talking about that comes up with the absence of fire, ironwood is a tree that kind of performs in that, kind of likes that understory mm-hmm. uh, and creates a mid-canopy. We, we've seen that kind of in the deep wood. It's, well, the ironwood is kind of really all over, it seems like. Yeah, um, yeah it's pretty yeah. amazing, Chance, that that tree 
ironwood, hop horn beam, folks, whatever you want to call it, tomato, tomato. It, um, it's a, a plant people are planting in landscapes, thankfully, but it is slow growing in people's landscapes. So it's never really taken off much in the trade, but it should. But at Indian Cave, of all places, it's become a weed. But you wouldn't, I certainly would never say it's going to seed all over the place in your landscape. I, I would be very shocked if it did. I think it's just... <laughs> happy as a clam there at Indian Cave. That's why it's all over the place. And, uh, you know, like you Certainly. say, snuffing out the light and, and becoming a, an understory that has to be uh, kind of reduced in numbers a little bit to let room for, exactly. your, for your babies to come up. So, yeah, that's really cool. And, and so, Chance, for our listeners, I, I always want to say this, too, because they may know somebody that owns land that has nice woodlands. Does the Northern Prairie Land Trust, can, can private landowners utilize your services? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we, we do uh, kind of check out some woodlands if you're interested in doing some management. We, we certainly help out with uh, giving information, also uh, aiding in with the, the prescribed burns as well. Um, and that's, at least for our kind of unit, uh, it's, we're in the southeast, but we certainly have some land, or we have some uh, land managers up north, uh, Ponca area, and um, north central uh nebraska as well kind of in that area so yeah we we certainly do do that okay yeah that's good to know because you know i think anytime uh you have a woodland or you know somebody that owns a woodland property and it has oaks um you know those need to be preserved folks uh nebraska come on man we need we need all the woods we can get and it's interesting to me chance when you go down more where you're at there at indian cave southeastern part of the state folks don't call it um, my woodland or they don't call it my uh, grove you know, like where i'm from up in northeast nebraska it was a, a grove of trees right because it was man planted right. but down there they call it timber right Oh, I got, I got, a, yeah. I got some great timber, and that name just comes from well, that's what we utilize forest for is to, to get timber, um, but in this case, that's not it. And I'll tell you, Chance, uh, I'm going to be going with my cohorts um, here some point in uh, October, uh, just south of you. We know somebody that has property that's literally within walking distance of Indian Cave, so that's going to be kind of cool to get on their property. So um, I will chat with them and see if they are interested in having you come. Maybe you already have. Um, um, I'll ask them, but uh, anyway, I won't mention Okay, are I the new landowners to the south of the Well, they've been, they've been there for quite some time now, and okay. uh, yeah, I, well, 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 we'll talk about that, but I don't wanna yeah. mention their name on the air or anything. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, so that's pretty exciting that, uh, but I always need to stay in touch with you because man, uh, Wow, you you always let me know. Like uh, I'm always after black cherry seed, and I always get skunked on black cherry seed. And I remember mm -hmm. one year, and black cherry, folks, is a, a awesome native tree that needs to be planted more. And there's some great trees at Indian Cave. And Chance told me one year, okay, it's a bumper crop. They're ready because I'd asked him to tell me when they're ready. I think this was on a Thursday, Chance, and I'm like, all right, I can't break away until Monday, so I'll be down there Monday. I get down there Monday, there was not a fruit left. All the birds in that short four-day stretch <laughs> cleaned them. Wow. Isn't that a trip? I couldn't believe it. That is. Yeah, so that tree is like escaping my grasp. So I need to hit you up for that again at some point. But they probably dropped their okay. fruit already. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I, I haven't been up to one to really take a look at it yet, to be honest. Yeah. But hey. yeah, they may, may have. 
Hey, and uh, before we go to break here, Chance, uh, the garlic mustard then, uh, you had mentioned some species aren't fire adaptable. Are you guys using fire at all to try to manage the garlic mustard? Is it, uh, is it like, is it increasing every year? Is it kind of, are you, is it holding its own now? Or, uh, what's the status? So we, ever since I started at Indian Cave back in 2014, and I think this, the project continued clear back to, 2011 again where uh, we've been trying to get rid of the garlic mustard by hand pulling it um, during the spring season and then uh, and then burning it in the fall and spring um, we've we've seen uh, it's it's kind of a hard one to nail down but we think with fire we've, we've certainly it certainly knocks it back if you can get a timely fire like in the uh, say the Spring, when the garlic mustard seeds are, uh, when they're, uh, they're growing, mm-hmm. uh, the seedlings, that's when they seem to be most susceptible. They're just so small, but when you get kind of the uh, garlic mustard, the biennial, so uh, on the second year, um, which they're green, they're, the second year plants will be green throughout winter. It's, it's really strange, uh-huh. but uh, they got a lot of vigor to them, so uh, I think a slow moving fire usually which is the case in woodlands um mm-hmm. will knock them back a point a little bit but there's some that do come back um and i don't know if it's just uh depending on where the fire took place if it was on a slope or the fuels were patchy or mm-hmm. you know like i said if it, if the fire went up a, a like a ridge or not a ridge but a a slope really quick and fast and uh-huh. that heat wasn't sustained around uh-huh. that plant long enough so it more or less top killed it and they just came back. But I think if you have a nice slow burning fire at the right time, you can really hammer on some mustard. Okay. That's, um, I didn't realize there's a biennial. That's good to know. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's one of those things I'm sure it was brought over for as food stuff and medicine. I don't know how it ever showed up in the U S but it's been marching its way across. And, you know, I can, I can report, you know, at least Indian cave or not Indian cave, uh, wilderness park here outside of Lincoln, um, you know, has not had that problem, which is, which is good. And oh, that is. Wow. I think that, you know, there's some there, but it just hasn't really reared its head, um, like it has in other places, but, and I'm not sure why that is. If, it, you know, I know there's a lady that goes down there, the garlic mustard queen that just tries to eradicate is kind of a one man band. She was, I, I can't remember the lady's name, but I met her before. It's, it's her mission to keep it out of uh, wilderness park. <laughs> and oh, that's great. I, so what we need people is just a, a wild edible plants foyer where we're all going out and helping yeah. chance pull those dang garlic mustards in the spring and we can all just have a big garlic mustard pesto party and yeah. um, you know because i'm told garlic mustard pesto is the bomb so there you go chance yeah. i don't know yeah. if you Jerry uh, Steiner, the, the botanist of the state he's he's talked about it a lot with me and oddly enough the year the amount of years i've been pulling it i i would just eat it raw um, yeah. On site, right? But I, 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 you know, picked some leaves here and there because I figured they'd be good for me. But uh, right. I hadn't actually gone the the way of making pesto, and I love pesto, so it's I'm kind of surprised I haven't. You know, doubt it is. It's, it's probably one of those things where you like going. You know, I've had a, enough of garlic mustard today. But I'm just telling you, <laughs> a great way to take it out on that enemy of yours is to eat him. 
you know, just off with exactly. your head. Yeah, and I've not tried it yet, but it's on my bucket list, and I'm sure it would be good. And yes, anything in the mustard family, I mean, incredibly good for us. So I'm sure, again, right. it was brought over for food and medicine. So let's utilize that stuff, people, and reduce its numbers. All right, Chance, I'm going to keep you on the line. i got to take a break here. And when we come back, let's talk about some other fun edible things, as in wild mushrooms, okay? All right. <laughs> All right, Sounds buddy. Good. I'll keep you on the line. All right, folks, you're listening to How's It Growing right here at KZUM Lincoln. Chance Brueggemann from the Game and Parks and Northern Prairie Land Trust. He's a woodland ecologist there stationed at Indian Cave State Park. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. Keep it right there. This is KZUM Lincoln. Right. Oh, a little James McMurtry to bring you to the last part of How's It Growing and How's It Growing with You People. All right, I'm speaking with Jan Chance Brueggemann. From, he's a woodland ecologist with the Game and Parks Commission and Northern Prairie Land Trust. If you want to ask a question of Chance, whatever, feel free to call in at 402-474-5086. And uh, Chance and I are going to be talking about a fun guy, fun guy among us and uh, fungus among us. Hey, Chance, I know you are a, a big fan of uh, wild edible mushrooms. And one thing we haven't talked about yet was mushrooms, of course. Uh, and but one thing you're seeing, I imagine, with the, your woodland burns there at Indian Cave State Park is an increase in the amount of fungi that are that are I, as a result of that burn. Is that is that correct? You know, that's what I'd like to think. Um, there's certainly some scientific studies that kind of point in that direction. Um, but it, it's it with fungi. I'm starting to, the more and more I spend with them, the more I realize like how much of a an Easter egg it is hunt it is just <laughs> to find them. I mean, some of these some of these mushrooms or some of these like areas I go out at Indian Cave year after year at different times of the year, um, you'd think that I would, I would have seen everything there is to see in some of these areas, and about every year I'm proven wrong. In that wild. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't know if it's just, you know, I'm not at the right time at the right place, but there's certain mushrooms that I, I, I want to find again because I know what they are now, and I know uh, scientifically how important they are as far as... Uh, trying to understand uh, the species of them because a lot of the mushrooms that we know today are the names are constantly changing because a lot of the times we use uh, the European names of these mushrooms and now as we get into genetics we're realizing that these mushrooms aren't the same mushrooms that we have given the European names to so now we're giving more Americanized names no kidding but um, yeah so basically I there's always something to find it seems like with their with their cryptic nature of living underground mostly uh, and I, I think that's the fun part about it you know there's always something new to learn yeah, and I think you told me once that you you kind of feel it whenever you're walking around an Indian cave uh, you're like going man there's just a whole network of stuff if I could flip the soil and see what does it look like underneath it's a fungal highway right is what you're thinking yeah I would love to somehow own a pair of goggles to be able to look at the ground <laughs> and just see all those networks because yeah I, I think some of them are tremendously large because at some sometimes during the year there's there's a certain species of mushrooms everywhere it's really cool no doubt are you talking about the honey mushroom exactly yeah too cool that, that's 
And people, if you if you Google the honey mushroom, I mean, it grows. I remember seeing, I think it was out in Oregon, pictures of the honey mushroom during a flush. And uh, it's kind of like a super bloom that takes place in the desert with, with timely rains and and uh, time of year, blah, blah, blah. But uh, the the honeys can do the same thing. It's like they're they're waiting for their moment and then, oh, here they all come, right? <laughs> you've kind of right. seen, you, seen that. Yeah, I have. And uh, it for the listeners, um, honey mushrooms, uh, the, there's a species, the one that you're talking about out in Oregon, is considered to be the largest organism on the planet. And, I mean, you don't see that just looking around in the woods because a lot of that biomass is underground. But apparently it stretches about two and a half miles in diameter, and scientists think it's 2,000 to 8,000 years old. So, Wow, that's a um, trip. Very crazy. No doubt. And and so why is that, that uh, underground mycelium or that underground component of a mushroom? Because all we see, folks, is the fruiting bodies that come up, but there's all the time there's that, that underground network of mycelium. What makes that mushroom an important part of the ecosystem then? Um, so I think at least the one here in Nebraska, I think of it as kind of an important decomposer. It also... It's so some species of our malaria, like the one in Oregon, is considered to be parasitic and saprobic. So not only does it attack the living tissues of a tree, it can also double down and eat the rest of the tree as it when it fall or dies and falls. Okay. And that's unlike some of these other parasites. Some parasites are just they're after the living tissues, and then when the tree dies, it needs to move on. Uh-huh. But this uh, our malaria, at least some species, have kind of a interesting corner in the. Uh, an ecology where they can, you know, do two, they can kill a tree and then clean it up. But here in Nebraska, the ones that we see, I like to think of as more of opportunistic parasites. So not so much, uh, not going after healthy trees, more or less taking out weaker ones. Okay. So I like to think of them as kind of like a, a natural selection event going on in the woods constantly. Um, they're, you know, taking out the weaker trees and, you know, maybe making room for, stronger trees with better genetics to to take over and then ultimately to reproduce yeah, so in the in the long scheme of things which it's hard for us humans to right kind of contemplate because mm-hmm. our lives are so much shorter compared to a woodland but um yeah they yeah in the long run we we like to think that they're creating a stronger uh stronger genetics or gene pool yeah, that is pretty cool. And and not only that, that does that fungal highway kind of increase the absorption capacity when it during a rain event, for example, holds holds more moisture in? Does it create more opportunities for the mycorrhizae of a tree root system or a shrub root system or a forb root system to attach to that? Does that does that help as well? Certainly, um, it wouldn't be so much for the armillaria or, or the mushroom, uh, honey right. mushrooms, uh, since those are parasi- parasitic and saprobic. They don't really attach to the roots. But we have a uh, yeah, the mycorrhizal, which is the, the third uh, kind of form of ecology of mushrooms. And those those mushrooms, instead of really breaking down any organic matter, they yeah, they like you said, they attach to the trees, uh, roots of trees underground, and they kind of share nutrients and. Uh, as you said, they kind of uh, increase the absorption radius of a tree, so kind of like a root extension almost. And, yeah, the tree will shuttle sugars down um, obtained from photosynthesis in exchange for limited nutrients such as nitrogen, phosphorus, um, 
calcium and uh, and water. There's and there may be some other things. Yeah. So, so basically. Without the fungi, you're kind of doomed unless you learn to adapt, i.e. desert habitats and things like that, the, the little scrub trees and stuff. But I'm sure there's mycorrhizae in those soils too. But, but yeah, the, the, the kind of, kind of, without mushrooms, people, there's no forest, plain and simple, uh, or the fungus yep. that's, that's inhabiting it, depending what kind of mushroom you're talking about. But, yeah, that's, that's really cool to know. And, um, and and I'll, I'll tell you a little story maybe I've told you before. Um, when Pat and I were camping in Indian Cave, oh, gosh, it's been too long, um, four or five years ago, something like that, let's say four, um, we were there, and uh, it was like two or three days before Halloween. I know it was late October anyway. And it was a chilly night. We kind of didn't didn't bring the, the a good enough sleeping bag. <laughs> kind of froze that night. But anyway, didn't expect to find anything. But of course, being mushroom geeks, you're always keeping your eye, your eyes peeled. And so we come across right along the trail a line of honey mushrooms. And thanks to our friend Luke, who had just showed us, because I didn't even know what the heck honey mushroom was until Luke showed us like a week prior to that. And I'm like, oh, cool. A new one to hunt. And what's fun is I'm with somebody that was very experienced, knew a honey mushroom, told me, yes, it's safe to eat. It's completely edible. But I did my due diligence and I researched, even despite Luke telling me it's cool, I trust you, but I'm going to do my research, right? And say, okay, is there any anybody I can mistake this for um, that is not edible? And then, of course, the de- deadly agalinus comes up and I'm like, huh. Well, I'd have to be a fool to mistake it for that. And I'm like, okay, right. I'm golden. So I uh, went ahead and eat, ate them that night. And I was like, oh, baby, yeah, you're on my wish list. And I remember if you look up honey mushrooms, just make sure you cook them for a long time, blah, blah, blah. They have a lot of water in them. Well, anyway, we're walking along and there's honey mushrooms on the ground, coming out of the ground, like literally lines of them. And you could basically take that honey and trace the root system underground is what I was assuming we were seeing. And like you said, the tree, that's what kind of puzzled me. Well, the tree's not dead, but it does not look healthy either. So that's probably one of those instances, right, where it was acting as a parasite on the root system of that tree. The the root system was still alive feeding that mushroom right but the mushroom is probably going to take help take that tree out or like you say um, yeah select and say dude sorry but you're out of here <laughs> yeah and sometimes like uh some of these kind of pair are uh they call them fa- facultative parasites these uh uh what's florida opportunistic ones they sometimes they'll really just attack like the dead the dead tissues on a live tree. So, you know, maybe some of those roots, some of them could be dead, especially if they're like under the trail, there could be some compaction Uh and, you know, some of those roots may be stressed or dying. Right. And, you know, that's when you could see the onset of uh, armillaria on those trees and stuff like that. But yeah, once the, once they're there, they kind of, I don't think they really go away. They kind of stay on that tree. And like you said, eventually they may lead to the demise or up to it. So, yeah, and for a mushroom hunter, that make, would make sense to go back and check that tree the following year, right? Which I think we did, but we timed it wrong. But anyway, we, we walked a little further down, started going down the trail, descending towards the many pawpaws down there in that eastern corner, and looked up this slope, and I actually, for the first time in my life, and Pat as well, 
Our phone had gone dead, so I, I still don't have, it's just in, up in my brain, no, no photographic, you know, representation of what we saw. But what you were uh-huh. saying, where it was just blanketing the ground, you're like going, oh, I'd never seen that before, and just thick. I mean, where you were afraid to even step on the ground anywhere in between them to try <laughs> to get, you know, and of course we were harvesting them, but we could be selective. There were so many. We were just getting the cute little, you know, one-inch heads, right? There's just very uh, mm-hmm. uh, young and tender and beautiful, and uh, we didn't have a bag to collect with. I, I swear we put them in our shirt, um, you know, because <laughs> we, we didn't expect to find anything that late. But mushrooms will surprise you, and I'm seeing chance right now um, th- there's there's kind of a, a set number of wild edible mushrooms. So right now we should be thinking about uh, oysters, right? Our our lovely uh, oyster mushrooms. Um, I'm seeing mm-hmm. I'm seeing people posting pictures of, of oysters online now or on Facebook now. So people are finding them. Uh, it's pretty much puffball giant puffball season coming up, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, I kind of have a associate September with puffball season and then chicken of the woods it'd be another one that people could find right now I'm imagining that's correct yeah chicken of the woods can be found throughout the summer but it definitely extends into uh, some of the cooler parts of fall even so you can definitely get lucky with that and do we do we mushroom hunters have to say well I'm not going until it rains I mean I know maybe you've been getting in on a few rains but as dry as it is they'll still they'll still shoot out right it doesn't necessarily take a rain to get a mushroom to come out yeah i think uh so the saprophytic mushrooms a lot of them the wood decaying ones i think they could actually get a byproduct of breaking down wood is water i believe so they do kind of create water in a way from what they eat uh Uh they i do see yeah i do see flesh of the chicken of the woods during uh drier times uh certainly so yeah it, it's rains aren't always everything, but they certainly help. They really do. Um, right, right. But yeah, you could find things certainly during the, the drier times of the year. Yeah, don't let that be an excuse to not get out into the woods. And hey, if you get skunked, it is what it is. You got out into the woods is the way I look at it, right? And so yeah. that's a good thing. And and so uh, okay, so people often ask, how do I tell the difference between an edible mushroom and a poisonous one? Um, well, what we always say, Chance, is go with somebody that, that's experienced, that knows their stuff. And uh, and, and mushrooms, people, are, are kind of like a plant. It's like, okay, do you know what a zinnia looks like? Or do you know what a marigold looks like? Or do you know what a daffodil looks like? And you can picture these in your head. You know what an iris looks like, right? Well, once you get to know a chicken of the woods, there's not, there's not a... a uh, an imposter chicken of the woods that, that well, it kind of looks like it, but it's not, right? And so you basically learn the edible ones and disregard the rest. Unless you're Chance. Chance wants to learn them all, right? <laughs> even the yeah, even the true. obscure slime molds, right? And I know uh, talking, we had, uh, uh, oh, poo, now his name's, not, I just had a brain, uh, Jerry Steinauer on the program back over the winter, and he was yeah. uh, talked a lot about the slime molds that you guys are, uh, discovering there and uh, and new species of mushroom, which, which is uh, really cool to hear. Well, not not new to science, but uh, oh. definitely new to the states uh, to the states distributions. Um, and there's beyond that, there's some pretty rare ones that we found. Uh, we found, or I found a species of truffle that 
was at the time it was probably only recorded in four or five other states with a total of 14 records total in the world all occurring in the u.s so wow. like there are some very rare and interesting ones out there and, and i wouldn't doubt new ones to science but wow. uh, i have not ran into those yet that is really cool. So, so tell us then, Chance, because I know that one is a new recording in Nebraska, but you have found, it, and I don't want to say it's because of the woodland burns. I think it's just because you're the dude to look, and that's that's part of it. But woodland burning is helping as well. How many new species uh, have you brought to the table as a new record in Nebraska there at Indian Cave? I haven't tallied them up in quite some time, but I know I've been saying I'm probably being too generous, uh, but I, I know I'm in the 40s. I've been saying I've been at least 40 species wow. uh, deep that hadn't been recorded in the state yet. So I might be in 50s. I, like I said, I haven't tallied them up, but 40s a lot regardless. So no I'm doubt. happy with just saying that. No doubt, so. dude. Yeah, exactly. That's just impressive. And, uh, you know, if you think of, oh, uh, we've got the, you know, the tropical rainforest where new species are being discovered all the time. Well, it's right and happening here, right here in Nebraska, thanks to Chance and little old southeastern Nebraska. That is pretty cool. And, yeah. And, and so why do you suppose that is, Chance, why those species were never recorded? Was it just that nobody was looking? You know, it's kind of odd. It just, it seems that mycology just wasn't a big thing in Nebraska. And I suppose, you know, as you get away from the Missouri river corridor, you know, you have a lot of species diversity drop off. So, you know, I, the two, the two people. So when I find a mushroom and I identify it, I instantly look at the distribution record for that species. And when I come across the records that have been here in Nebraska, they are usually here in the Southeastern portion of the state. So that makes sense, and yeah. but what's weird is just the the uh, just the frequency. There was just there's only two people that I had really come across, and they one of them was Lavella A. Walker, and I believe she worked out at on campus at UNL for quite some time, um, and and that was back. A lot of her records are back in the 1920s. Wow. Um, and then the other person I, I frequently uh, see are is a a I think his name's Howard Reynolds, and he I think was involved in his, uh, some university in Kansas nearby, but he mm. was in the 1940s. Mm. So yeah, I, those records are really the ones I pull up the most when I'm looking at what I'm what I find. Yeah. So if you think about so that. That's like, okay, two people, right? I mean, there, there's, there was probably more, but, right? It's like, it's just a lack of looking, right? Just like you said, no, you know, why, why should we be interested in this? And, well, there's, there's fungi among guy in, the, in their agricultural soils, too, and uh, prairie-type associations, I'm assuming. Uh, just we don't get nearly the fruiting bodies you would get, like you say, in the Missouri River Corridor with the woodlands and the lowlands and the uplands and all of those different biomes coming together. Um, oh, there was something I was going to ask you. Oh, so um, so Chance, is uh, you had mentioned um, people becoming more interested, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention to the, uh, is it Nebraska Mycological Society? Is that what it's called? That's correct. Yeah, so yeah. Pe- people can join that. How can they join that? Uh, well, uh, we have many different kind of social media outlets from Instagram, Facebook, and uh, we also we keep in touch and everything on a on an app called Discord, and uh, it seems to be our most 
uh, our easiest communicating so- our app that we use to kind of talk with each other. There's a lot of different kind of layers to this group or to this uh, this or- this app where you can, you know, people post about art. They post about culinary endeavors when they're about mushrooms. I mean, it's it's pretty, it's, it's kind of encompassing everything for from mushrooms and fungi in general. So you don't have to be like me, uh, a nerd trying to look for every species out there. <laughs> Some people are just interested in, in the the edible ones or you know um or like i said even just the art of mushrooms and it so it's it's kind of cool to have this kind of encompassing all-encompassing uh uh group with all these you know different people with different interests so are you so, saying i could uh, me being technologically challenged i could just go to the app store and download what uh it's called discord uh d-i-s-c-o-r-d cool and it's kind of like a gaming uh, it started off as mainly like a gaming kind of communicating software, but it's it's definitely branched out, and there are a lot more entities and stuff using it. I want to say, cool. but for me and for a lot of us, I feel like it's it's certainly the the best way to either communicate, put something up for people to look at. It, it seems like kind of Facebook and some of the other things maybe falling off a little bit, but yeah, that that seems to be our best outlet. Too cool. Well, if, again, folks, the easy, you know, for me, it's like if I'm on Facebook, you know, type them in and follow them on Facebook, um, Instagram, and uh, I imagine you guys, are, they also have tours every once in a while because I know you hosted one at Indian Cave I wasn't able to make. But, but yeah, good group to join and, uh, you know, mushroom nerds. So if you consider yourself a mushroom nerd, man, hang out with a bunch of mushroom nerds. They're they're fun group. Yeah. Uh, they're fun guy among guy. All right, Chance. Well, I am out of time here here at How's It Growing. I always enjoyed chatting with you on mushrooms and woodland burning and just uh, really admire the work you guys are doing there at Indian Cave. So thank you so much on behalf of, of Nebraskans. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. My pleasure, Chance. Well, I'll, I'll be in touch because I'm going to hit you up with some things. All right, kiddo? <laughs> All right, Chance. Yeah, take care. Good. All right. Take Maybe care. You're down at Indian Cave sometime. Yes, no doubt. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Absolutely. See ya. All right, that's Chance Brueggemann, project biologist, woodland ecologist at Indian Cave State Park. Man, if you haven't been there, people, you're missing out. Make it a goal to go camping at Indian Cave this this fall. Well, tonight. No, I'm just kidding. It's supposed to be 96 today. Well, uh, stay cool, hydrate yourself, stay safe, and get that fall gardening started, if not tonight, this weekend. All right, I'll see you same time, same place right here next week on How's It Growing. Have a great week.